Today's Bible passage is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. My name is Agnes. I'm one of the staff here. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles at the back. Back, please feel free to grab one. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant." Hey, good morning again. Um, again, if you are new to Tungabi Baptist Church, um, big welcome to you. Uh, and please speak to us uh, after the service because we really, we really love uh, meeting new people, meeting our visitors, uh, and people exploring faith and exploring our church. So please come speak to us. Um, let me pray before I begin. Holy Spirit, we pray that we will be able to see Jesus more so that we can live like him more, and that we can worship him better. This we pray in his name. Amen. Uh, you might remember this in the 80s, um, when there was a big hype and controversy that there are uh, subliminal messages or hidden messages in some of the songs, that if you play a song backwards or, or even if you analyze a song, that it's, it's trying to brainwash you, that it's trying to communicate something to you and it will influence how you live. Uh, the biggest one was Led Zeppelin's song, Stairway to Heaven, that it was alleged that if you play it backwards, there's a hidden song to Satan. And so they said that if you listen to the song slowly, it will, the more you listen to it, the more it will brainwash you and will make you, it will turn you to a Satan worshiper. But of course, all these claims were debunked. It was nothing but just random noises. If you play it backwards, it's just noises. But as soon as someone suggests to you that these are the words that it's trying to say, your brain will start to think, yeah, that's what it's saying. But it's really, it's just random. Um, but the thing is, we don't really need subliminal messages or hidden messages in a song in order for a song to influence us. Uh, because often a song is a way we declare our understanding of life. It's the way we declare our very philosophy. Um, for example, It's My Life by Bon Jovi. If you look at the lyrics, a very popular song, a lot of people would know this. The song, it says, it's my life, it's now or never. I ain't gonna live forever. I just wanna live while I'm alive. Now, it's a song of independence, living life to the full before you die. Another big one, Highway to Hell, ACDC. 
don't need reason, don't need rhyme. Ain't nothing that I'd rather go going down party time. My friends are going to be there too. I'm on the highway to hell. See, it's saying regardless of the consequences of life, I'm going to enjoy this life. Again, these, these songs are popular because we love the idea. We agree with the, the philosophy. We, 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 we agree with the approach in life. And so really deep down, it might be the very anthem of our lives. It's our philosophy. Now see, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, it's suspected to be one of the earliest Christian hymn or song, because you can't see it in English, but in Greek, there's, there's a rhythm, there's a style, there's a structure to it that it allows you to remember it quite easily. It's written like, like a song or a poem that it's actually very easy to recite in, in ancient Greek. Now, I'm not, I'm not very sure if, if it was a song because there's really, it doesn't really ap appear anywhere else. There's no evidence of that. But maybe Paul was just so captivated by the truth that he's talking about that he ended up writing it so beautifully that it's almost like a poem and a song. But either way, in the first century, this became a philosophy of life. And it didn't just change individuals. It really transformed history. And really, if you make this the very anthem of your life, it will change you as well. That's what we believe as Christians. But see, unlike Highway to Hell or It's My Life, it's not about independence. It's about surrender. It's about dependence. And so today, this morning, I want to show you three very essential philosophy, very essential approach of life in Christianity that will not just captivate you, but it will transform you. And the three things that I really want to push to you is the, are these. The supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, and lastly, the certainty, because of those two, the certainty that we should have in Christ. All right, let's begin. See, the very first thing that Paul wants us to know and understand is the supreme status of Jesus Christ. He wants us to really understand and grasp how nothing else really compares to this person, Jesus. Uh, you know, in ancient times, there are, there are hundreds of different gods. You know, they, they tend to compare which god is better, which god is more powerful, which one is wiser, who controls what. And so Paul settles the argument here. If you look at it in details, he says that, firstly, he said, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Now, one of the biggest uh, challenges in believing in God is that God is invisible. We can't see him. It's a big problem. And it's a big problem in, in ancient times. It's a big problem today that we can't see God. Uh, it's a problem because the, the invisibility of God is a challenge to the knowability of God. All right? how, how do you get to know someone, someone that you can't see? And so in the Old Testament, we know that God has been revealing himself by speaking, right? God's word is the only way people get to know him really well. But, but see, we also know from the Old Testament that it doesn't stop people from creating an idol of God, right? They still needed something to, to see and be able to relate to. So that's why they try to recreate what, what they think God would be like. So we've seen uh, an idols of bulls because it represents strength and power. Uh, there's some idols with many hands or many eyes because it represents uh, all-knowing or being in control of things. But of course, uh, every image of God will be a distortion of God 
that every time you, you try to recreate what God is like, you'll end up deforming what God is really like. So we will always end up redefining God in our own terms, or as we, we can, we'll often recreate God in our very own image. And so the Old Testament also tells us that God has made an image, but he has made an image in us, that our humanity reflects the very character and essence of God, that our wisdom, our ability to love, our creativity, our sexuality, remember, our courage, our aspirations, our spirituality, all of these things really point to a God who created us. That we are the one, humanity are the ones that's supposed to project what God is like. We're supposed to look at each other and we should be able to say, there has to be a God because only a God can create such kind and beautiful and compassionate and caring and, and, and sacrificial person. That's the ideal. But the problem is the image of God in us has been defaced. So because of our sin, we're not able to project what God is really like, that you can, we can still see hints and, and, and small pictures of, of God in each other, but it's no longer clear. And so this is the reason, one of the reasons why Jesus was sent, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, in full humanity, at the same time at full divinity. Um, and hence, Paul begins by saying, the son is the image of the invisible God. That he's not just made in the image of God, he is the image of God. He is God visible and, and, and in a tangible form. And so verse 19, it, it, it shows that. For God was pleased to have all his fullness, all his divinity dwell in this person, in him. All of God packed into the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus would say something like in, in John chapter 14, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you know me, then you know the Father as well. Therefore, when we look at Jesus, we should be able to say two things. Firstly, that's what God is like. I mean, I don't have to create an image or an idol because God has given me the full picture, an, an accurate picture of what he's like. But secondly, secondly, we should be able to say that's what we're supposed to be like. That's what it means to be in the image of God. That's what it means to be human. Now, Paul continues on. He is the firstborn over all creation. Now, firstborn, it's not in here, it's not about chronology. It's not being born first. It's really a title. Uh, that's why we have prime minister. It's not because it's the only prime or the only person uh, there is, but it's, it's the title of authority. Uh, in a, and in ancient times, many of you would know that the firstborn is the one who will inherit everything. He's the one who will be in charge of everything. And so in this case, it means that everything belongs to Jesus, that everything uh, that he has, the, he has given the, the highest power and authority over all things. And so verses 16 to 17 really tells us that, that the whole creation is by him, right, for him, and everything, everything holds together by him. And Paul is being very clear in highlighting everything, that there's nothing on earth or in the universe that is not created by him, for him, and sustained by him, right? Now, 
that's, that's the very first philosophy that can change your life, that Jesus is God and has supremacy over everything. I mean, everything that you can think of. Mount Everest, termites, Taylor Swift, black holes, Donald Trump, Pacific Ocean, cancer, COVID-19, the Opera House, your kids, you, I mean everything. You get the point. That he made it all. He owns it all. And he sustains it all. He knows the purpose of everything because he created it. And everything will fall apart if Jesus Christ does not sustain and control it. He has supremacy over everything. And note here that Paul is not campaigning for Jesus. He's not saying, hey, if we vote for Jesus, he will have supremacy over creation. Paul is not encouraging us to make Jesus supreme. Paul is simply stating the truth of what is. He's saying, regardless of what you think and what you believe, Jesus has supremacy over all things. It's not a referendum of whether you like this or not or whether you believe this or not. It is the truth. You don't make him to be. He is. His reign, his power, and supremacy does not depend on the majority. And so with all that, it should really give us two, two responses. The first response is that we can take comfort. We have comfort that there is a God. He reigns supreme. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He's ever-present, supreme being. He created all things and sustains all things in the universe. He knows what's going on, and he controls what is happening now and what will happen in the future, so we can take comfort in that. But the other response is, should be, fear. Because if there is a God who created things for a purpose, created things for a reason, if there is a God who owns everything and sustains everything, it means that there is a God who will keep you accountable. See verse 10, going back to verse 10 in, in last week, Paul started the letter, his prayer is so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. If there is a supreme God out there, it means that there is a certain way that he wants you to live in order to please him, in order to bring glory to him, that God created you and everything else in order to bring glory to him. The creation, as we said, is for him, which is why we need our very second uh, philosophical foundation, the sufficiency of Christ. Because see, at first, everything seems okay. That Jesus created everything, he holds together everything. But we're introduced to this idea that the same supreme God, the creator and sustainer of all things, suddenly has to shed blood, has to shed his blood in order to provide peace. See, verse 20 says that he, he, may, he makes peace through his blood shed on the cross. So suddenly the idea of, of war and, and, and separation and, and chaos are introduced. That this supreme person has to bring reconciliation in all the things that was created by him and for him. And somehow he has to pay this with his own blood. Why? Verse 21. It tells us that because of our evil behavior, we have been alienated from God and, and enemies in our minds. That because of our actions, our relationship with God has been broken and we have, we have been hostile towards God. Now, let me pause here because that, that's, 
that's a very big claim. Because you might, you might think, well, that's, that's not me. I can't really relate to verse 21. For one, I don't act with evil behavior. Sure, I've told a lie, maybe I've, I've cheated here and there, but you can't equate that with evil. Because evil, evil is Hamas. Evil is, is a pedophile. Evil is, is a dictator. Surely that's not me. And also, I'm not, you might think, I'm not hostile towards God. I'm not, I'm not even sure if I believe in him, but it doesn't mean I see him as my enemy. But see, this is why Paul begins with who Jesus is. He started by saying, Christ is king. He's, he's supreme. He's the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. And it's, it's either you are for him, you are for him as a king, or you are against him. It's either you bow down to him, to his supremacy, or you contend for that supremacy and make yourself king. See, verse 21 is basically, basically saying, once you have been separated from the creator and the king, because you have rejected the very purpose for your life and his kingship in your life by disobeying him. Uh, in 1970, a farmer whose name is Leonard Casley. He had a problem with the government in, in Western Australia about his production quotas in farming. And so he rejected, he completely rejected the Australian government and he declared his own farm a sovereign state and he called it the Hot River Province. Now, he appointed himself as Prince Leonard, that's his title. And then with his family, he granted royalties to the rest of his family, right? And they made their own money, they made their own currency provided their own stamps, and even made their own passports. And obviously, the Australian government really rejected all of this stupidity. Now, you might think, like, that, that's, that's just dumb. But you see, this is exactly the same case that Paul is making. If there is a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, that created and sustained all things, right, including yourself, how idiotic is it? is it to make yourself king over your own life? Because that is exactly what sin is. Sin is a rejection of the supremacy and the authority of God. And this is why Paul's argument is here, because it's, it's saying, he's saying, because of your evil behavior, you have made God as your enemy in your mind. He's, he's, he's saying, because you enjoy sin... You try to justify your sin by rejecting God, right? A, a person who, who, who loves a particular sin most probably will reject the idea of God who is supreme over his or her own life because they don't want to stop what they're doing. They enjoy their independence and, and the rule over their own life that the idea of a God who is supreme will be a very threat to that enjoyment. And so the argument is, sorry, our argument will be, because I want to do what I want to do, I'm going to reshape the way I think about God so that I can be free from what I love to do. That's the idea that Paul is saying. That, and to make ourselves king, we reject the idea of the kingdom of God and we, we reside in our own kingdom. And the Bible calls that the kingdom of darkness. Colossians call that the kingdom of darkness. Look at verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, darkness 
is the absence of God. Darkness is the opposite of what is good and what is holy and righteous. Darkness is where you want to be left alone. Darkness is the place where you want to hide to do what you want to do so that no one else will be able to see it because light will reveal what's evil and what's wrong. And so in darkness is where you'll find high school students in the cubicles vaping because they don't want to be seen. They do it in the dark. Darkness is where you'll find thieves and vandals. That's where they choose to operate. Darkness is what you do in secret behind closed doors. Darkness is where corrupt politicians and businessmen make their trade because darkness hides. And the Bible often points out that men, men and women, loves darkness because it is to our advantage to do what we love to do. And so in darkness, in a way, it's, it's very addictive. Left in the dark, you're trapped in this intensifying desire to do more of the things that you love to do for your own glory. And this is why Jesus, this person who has the supremacy over all things, is the one, is, is not just supreme, but he is sufficient to rescue us out of that darkness. Because we are told we have been reconciled. We have been brought back from darkness. And he took us back into the kingdom of light. And he did that by entering darkness and death himself. And that's why, I don't know about you, but verse 22 is so captivating. That he, Jesus Christ, this supreme person, has reconciled you by his physical body. How? Through death. The, the creator experience death so that he'll be able to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. The supreme creator did verse 22 for you. He did verse 19 for you. He made peace through his blood that's been shed on the cross. That he who created life, sustains life, gave his own life that he died so that he can present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. That in Jesus Christ, you will be seen as someone who has done everything in life right. And furthermore, this is why he's the firstborn among the dead. Because when he died, he didn't just stay dead. He came back to life so that... He not only has the supremacy over the living, he now he has the authority and the power over the dead. He has the power to raise himself. Therefore, he has the power to raise others with him. Now, how awesome is that? Not only have you been reconciled with God and seen blameless, but like Jesus Christ, one day you will be raised from the dead and live forever. That death is no longer the end, but the beginning of the best things that's yet to come. The, the Age website, the newspaper Age, um, I don't know how I came across this, but they have a, a death calculator. They can predict when you're going to die. Uh, according to them, I'm going to die on December 5, 2064. It's not bad because it's, it's still about 40 years from now. But see, it just made me think, without the gospel, without this good news that Paul is talking about, I only have 40 40 years, 40 years to enjoy life now, 40 years to somehow make a difference, to leave a legacy, 40 years to find meaning. And, and then after that, that's it. That according to modern secular um, philosophy, I won't 
I won't remember anything, all the happiness that I experienced in my life, all the relationships that I formed, all the valuable things that, that I thought was important will simply cease because my life is, has ended. It's no longer. I'm just going to be a fertilizer on the ground. That's it. But do you see how game-changing this gospel is? That I will one day raise from the dead and the best is yet to come, and I get to enjoy that forever. See, the first philosophy is that you need to accept that Jesus Christ is supreme over everything. But that's not enough, because secondly, you need to embrace that Jesus is sufficient in rescuing you from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light, right? But you just have to, to, to have that philosophy in life. But here's, here's somewhat a catch. Look at what Paul warns us with, and really why he wrote the book of Colossians, our third point. And we're going to see this throughout, uh, throughout the series, the certainty that we have in Christ. Verse 23. So Paul talked about all that, and then he goes, if, if you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out, held out in the gospel. Again, he says, this is who Jesus is, that this, he's the supreme king, and this is what he's done for you. Now, if you have faith, you can be reconciled to God and be risen from the dead and have eternal life. But only if you continue in that faith and do not move from that hope that you have. You know, almost, uh, almost two months ago, we got a dog. Uh, his name is Bentley. He'll um, be up on the screen. Bentley is a border collie. He's very smart. He's a border collie. He's very smart. He's very active. Uh, and he's only four months, but he knows, he knows a lot of tricks, right? Like all the basic commands, you know, come, sit, stay, and all that. But my favorite one is selfie. If you say selfie, he'll go behind you. He, he'll put his paws on your shoulder, and he'll stick his head so that you can take a selfie together, right? <laughs> his best trick is that we hide a stick inside a house. And he can actually sniff it out. He'll tell you, like, find the stick, and he'll sniff out the whole house trying to look for that stick. And he's only four months old. Now, yesterday, we took him to the dog park. We live, like, not, not too far away from Bangarbi Dog Park. And he absolutely loved it. It's a new environment. He's playing with other dogs. He's exploring new environment. And when I called him to come back, he didn't listen. <laughs> normally, he, normally, he would run towards me. And then he found dog poo and started rolling in it. <laughs> now, I told him to stop, but he kept going. And then he started eating random stuff on the ground. Normally, when I say drop, he knows the command. He'll drop anything that's in his mouth. But this time, again, he didn't listen. And which kind of made you think, like, now, he's got good cooked food. I cooked for him. He cooked food at home. But he's eating dirt and rubbish out there. He's got a nice bed. Right? That I bought for him, but he prefers laying and rubbing on poo. <laughs> he has a family that loves him at home, but he won't come back and, and, and obey. Instead, he prefers to run off with other people. Now, all of a sudden, our obedient dog started deciding for himself because he has lost focus. He has substituted what is glorious to what is rubbish. And so this is the same warning in the book of Colossians. See, it's, it's so much easier to be a Christian on a Sunday. It's so much easier to be a Christian sitting on a Bible study group with other Christians. But once you step out in the world, there are so much more things happening, so much more distractions that we tend to forget what's important. 
and we, we start to forget who we should be focusing on. We, we forget who is supreme. We forget who is sufficient in our lives. That we have all these things in Christ. All the promises are given to us. And yet we get distracted with the menial things that this life is offering. And we exchange it for what Christ has done for us. We have holiness, perfection, eternal life, the title of children of God. We have the love and the power of God, the Holy Spirit in us. And yet some of you would rather roll around poo simply because you think it's more worth it. Paul said, you need to remain established and steadfast and not, not shifting away, not looking anywhere else. You need to stay grounded, unable to move, and not minding other things. Now, it's a big warning. Again, the book of Colossians is about that. And sadly, you know, I've, I've been in ministry long enough to see this, this sad reality. I've, I've been a youth pastor. I've seen youth who are absolutely passionate about the gospel, you know, passionately serving in their teens in ministry, but once they taste a bit of freedom in university or as a young adult, they easily deny that faith that they love. Why? Because as we said, men prefer the, the dominion of darkness. The same thing for, for adults. People would, would easily deny faith even though they've grown up in the church because they want to justify the kind of life that they want to live. And you can even be near the end of your life and suddenly turn bitter and resentment towards God because he didn't give you the life that you think that you deserve here on earth. And so Paul warns us, and I hope you can heed this warning as we go through the book of uh, Colossians uh, for the rest of our time, that Christ is supreme. He is sufficient for you. And keep your hope and your certainty in Christ and Christ alone. Now to, to pray and close, let me read... I'll just, I'll just read Psalm 23 as a, as a way of praying and closing. Because it really just highlights the sufficiency of Christ. And le again, let this be our closing prayer. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley... The darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.